Amen. Sheesh. You know the word sheesh is an ancient word that older folks use that now teenagers are starting to use? Sheesh. Now my son uses it too. Okay. Um, it's homecoming season. Um, woo woo. Did Ginger, did you just woo? Okay. Oh, good for you guys. How'd it go? Was it everything you ever dreamed of? <laughs> just a thumbs up. Just. Okay, well, since we're talking, here's what I looked like in high school. Um, right here, you get to see a picture of this guy. Why are you laughing? That is me. Look at it, it's Christmas Day. You're laughing too long. That's my body you're laughing at, guys. Come on. This is church. We don't laugh at each other's bodies. We straightened it just for that special occasion. So let me tell you about my junior prom, okay, since we're talking about dances and stuff here. Um, I couldn't find a date. Can you believe it? Um, So I went alone. So dinner for me, my junior prom, I went to the Wendy's parking lot, and nothing screams a classy night in the town like a Baconator and a Frosty, um, all by myself. So, but I had this idea, because I'm not just going to go there showing up all, all by myself. I'm going to show up with a bang. And so I had this idea that this was going to be my breakout moment. Some of you know I was homeschooled for 10 years. I went to Granville my junior senior year, so this is my pent-up moment of all this weird spirit, school spirit stuff. And I had to, not that this is school spirit, what I'm going to say, but uh, I spent the entire day, I don't know when I had this idea, but I spent the entire day cutting off, I, I got a pair of dress pants from um, Goodwill, and I cut them off like really, really short. And then I got Velcro, and I sewed the Velcro on like the, the inside and the outside so that they were breakaway, right? So I spent the whole day uh, getting that prepared, and then I sat in the Wendy's parking lot eating my Baconator with those things on. I went into the line uh, that it took to get into homecoming, and that's like a two-hour line, and I'm by myself. Um, <laughs> my vision was that at the perfect time, um, remember the movie um, Jack Donkey? There's many of those movies now, um, MTV Jack Donkey, if you know what I mean. Uh, there, was the par- there was the party boy guy, and he would break away his things and he would have similar attire underneath and then he would just dance in public. This was going to be my moment. So I had that vision that at the perfect time, I was going to break them off. People were going to look and see those pasty thighs and I would be party boying. And then after that, this was, this was like the perfect plan that I would end up with, you know, those Daisy Duke things. And in my fantasy, everybody would laugh and they would crown me king of the school. I would be the coolest kid. And next year, I would no longer eat Wendy's alone for the next dance. I would have my choice because all the fair maidens would come to me, the guy who had the Daisy Duke Velcro pants, and this was going to change the rest of my life. It didn't. (laughs) It didn't. Um, That might come to a surprise, but how it actually went is I waited in line and finished my Frosty. Um, (laughs) Sorry, those details are funny to share. Uh, And then I finally got to the front of the line, and I was denied access. You're supposed to say, oh, I know. Because turns out I didn't do a very good sewing job. (laughs) And you could see my thighs. And in my defense, 
You can see some of the girls' thighs with their things, too, but whatever. You know, it's all good. I tried that argument, and it didn't work. Um, they sent me home. I remember Mr. Berlin's face. So uh, today, I was, my dreams were crushed. But today, we're going to talk about how to properly make a Daisy Duke breakaway dress pant. Um, just kidding. We're, we're going to talk, eventually going to find ourselves at a party, a, a wedding, a, a wedding parable that Jesus talks about. It's a grand celebration that is much more important than Jordan's junior prom, even though it was a joy to get to relive that trauma with you all on stage here this morning. So a major theme of what we're going to be talking about today has to do with Jesus's issue, though, um, with how the religious leaders, and Pastor Tom started this, this, this theme last week, but how the religious leaders of his day, the priests, misused their power and authority to create barriers between people and God. So that's, that's where we're going to end up. They, they uh, work things out to deny the access of the outsiders um, to the innermost parts of the temple, uh, to the dance, so to speak. And if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Tom kind of set the tee up for this one, that Jesus entered into the temple, and you notice that they uh, were charging the Gentiles, the outside group, uh, an inflated amount of money for the birds that they needed to sacrifice to Yahweh in the temple. So they were exploiting these people that just wanted to find God. But they were exploiting them to find uh, financial gain from it. So Jesus left from last week. Jesus left there. Um, he cursed a fig tree because he was just mad about the fruitlessness of the, the priests that were intended to lead his, God's people to be a blessing to the entire world. And it turns out, um, when Jesus came back the following morning, which is where we're going to be right now, um, those chief priests also uh, had some time to think about that moment where Jesus flipped the tables over and challenged really their authority in their place. So that's where we're going to be. Um, let me pray, and then we're going to jump into the very next section um, of the book of Matthew. So, Lord, thank you for uh, saving me from the humiliation of my plans actually going through at Junior Prom. Um, you are a good God with good plans, and I'm happy to get to be here today um, speaking about your heart. I pray that I'll do it um, in the way that pleases you, and ultimately that we'll leave here knowing that you've sent an invitation to us, that we are invited to the table. No matter where we've come from, you have a heart for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, next morning, Jesus gets there, and it says this. Jesus entered the temple court. So he goes back to the place he was the night before. And while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him. So they were, like, waiting for him to get there. Um, good morning, Jesus. Okay, let's talk. They, they came there. Let me tell you about the chief priests real quick before I get to the question that they asked. Because for the rest of the talk, it's important to to frame that the issue Jesus had was with this group of people, and like I already said, their corruption and um, misuse of the power and authority that God had ordained them to have. So uh, the chief priests in Jerusalem was a group called the Sadducees. Um, can everybody say Sadducees? It's like sad, you see, um, kind of like that. Um, they were made up of seven families from the priestly line of Levi in the Old Testament. And by this time in the story, this group of people actually had access to quite a bit of power. 
They uh, were a fairly wealthy group with many business ties in Rome and to the local power of Herod. And I just found out, and it might be exaggerated, but Herod, you've heard of him in in the New Testament. Um, At least Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that he was the richest man that ever lived. And he did tend to um, exaggerate a little bit. But these Sadducees were tied to people with a lot of money and power. The, The most power in the whole world. Um, with the Roman Empire at that time. And so they ended up, uh, through uh, the corruption of those relationships, having a lot of money. Um, Here's a model to one of their houses, and it's not really that impressive, and it's clearly not a real photo. It's a, uh, like, painting of what it would have looked like. But pretend like that's just the living room. That's just, like, your little balcony to your room. This house had 17 bedrooms, 21 mikvah baths. They didn't have like the same kind of running water that we had, but essentially seven or 21 bathrooms, multiple levels, multiple staircases, mosaic floors. They had the money, they had the power, and they had the authority as the leaders of the temple um, to use that power for good or for bad. So this group, they had ties and they were getting dirty money from the Roman Empire. They were like the religious mafia family. Um, they, uh, like uh, Al Capone sort of stuff, right? They, they built their wealth off of the dirty money. And these priests, uh, the ones that Jesus is about to interact with here again, were very invested in keeping the status quo. They wanted to keep things the same exact way because of the corruption of the temple system that they had with their business partners. It was very lucrative for, him, for them just to keep things the way that they were. So when Jesus comes in there and flips over the, the tables of the money exchangers, these strategic business partners that were there to help those Sadducees continue to benefit from the exploitation of people who had less and people who are outsiders, that posed a big challenge to them. To the, both to their power and authority. So bright and early, the Sadducees, mafia, mafia family, were ready to approach Jesus with this question. They said, by what authority are you doing these things? Right? That's their place. They have the authority to do it how they want to do it. They asked, and who gave you the authority? So they came straight at Jesus, beeline, for Jesus because he was messing with something that was helping them to have 17-bedroom homes. (laughs) But Jesus didn't back away from the confrontation. You you often see Jesus uh, respond a question with a question, which is what he does here, or a question with a story, but he never shies away from the hard conversations, not even with the religious mafia, which is who he's dealing with now, right? Because he was so concerned that the unnecessary barriers were not put between God and the furthest person out. Which is, again, why he flipped the tables over, because the the priests were making it hard for people to find their way back to God. So, Jesus asked them a question in response. Verse 24. Jesus replied, I'll ask you one question. If you answer me, I will tell you by what authority I am doing these things. John's baptism... Where did it come from? Was it from heaven or from human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say human origin, we are afraid of the people, for they hold that John was a prophet. 
So they answered Jesus, we don't know. Then Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Jesus is so clever. He's so clever with his responses to self-centered motives. Which he does here, and, and then they were too afraid to answer the question. So Jesus bravely then from this point, after they could, could see their own hypocrisy but weren't willing to admit it, uses this moment to teach right in front of these priests who are abusing their power and authority to put up bears between God's people and God, or people and God. And Jesus uses this, uh, this time, he says three parables. I'm going to summarize two of them real quick, and then I, w- I really want to get to the last one. Um, the first one highlights how it's better to return to God, even if you've messed your life up, than to pretend like you don't need God at all. So he describes kind of two brothers in a scenario. One um, didn't follow the father's instructions, but eventually did. One said they would, and they never did. Jesus is saying uh, that he's criticizing the unrepentant, self-righteous hearts of these leaders. And he ends that parable saying this, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you. Now he's talking to the people who are the elite They have the status and the power and the authority. He says, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes in their culture, the the low end of the social uh, ladder, are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show to to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. The people who realized that they're broken and need God did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe. He's returning to those, those words at the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is calling out the religious mafia. Remember fighting words right there. Remember, this is the last week of Jesus' um, life before death and resurrection. This is one challenge that would eventually lead to them plotting to, t- to take his life. The priests, their hearts were never surrendered to God and they, and they therefore created barriers between them and God because they saw the opportunity to do so. The second parable talks about a master, and in, in this case obviously is, is God, renting space of his vineyard to different tenants and, uh, in order that they might collectively flourish. But Jesus describes the tenants, uh, which would be the priests in this second parable, as a corrupt group of people who turn God's vineyard into something that would be used for their own gain. Which again is a, a critique of the behavior of the priests. He says the priests had forgotten the mission of God's people from the very beginning, which was to be a blessing to all nations. So the first two parables, Jesus throws a bunch of shade on the religious mafia family. They were corrupt, self-centered, hard-hearted, and people who had forgotten the mission of God entirely. The third parable, which is where I want to spend the rest of our time, I do want to read that to you, describes the priests as a group, and you'll see it, that thinks they're too good to 
to attend the wedding ceremony, the grand wedding ceremony from God. This third parable, Jesus sort of describes a vision of the kingdom of heaven, which includes now, but also what it's leading towards. And you'll see that leaves the priests in a bad place. And I promise this talk is leading to somewhere good, good news. So the very beginning of chapter 22 it says this. This is the third parable. We'll, we'll spend the rest of our time here. Jesus spoke to them again in parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. So you can kind of see the son language there. We're talking about Jesus, right? The wedding banquet. We're talking about the, the kingdom of heaven coming, but also culminating in the story that God is writing. Uh, verse 3 says, He sent his servants to those who had been invited. So he's talking about the the Jewish uh, community, the people of God, that all the way from back from Abraham until this point, God used this small, insignificant people to start telling his story of redemption back to himself. He chose them first, and so the invitation goes to them first. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them, but they refused to come in. So it's like the priests that he's talking about. They they denied the invitation that was coming their way for this beautiful culmination, for this beautiful story that God was writing. There are times in the Bible when uh, the story of God, the kingdom of God is described like a wedding. Now, this is one of them. There's several others. In fact, um, the global church that we're a part of, I mean, you, you got to hear Diane talk about that, right? Like there's Christians all over the world. We are a part of something that the Bible sometimes calls the bride of Christ. It's the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. Jesus loves the church, and I'm not talking about the walls of the building. He loves the, the global collection of followers of Jesus all over the world, metaphorically like a husband loves a wife. So in this story, Jesus gives us a picture of a wedding as the coming together of the cosmic story of the universe of all of human history, the story that God has been writing from the beginning, weaving us into it, it culminates in something that feels like a wedding celebration. And so at this point in his parable, the wedding is ready. Things are ready. He sent his servants out, and then in verse 4 it continues. He sent some more servants. So he's given it a second shot for, for his, uh, his people, the, the Israelites. And said, tell those who have been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered. They got steak. They got the good stuff. That's not Baconator. This is like the best food you can have. I do like a Baconator. But. So he said, everything's ready. Come to the wedding banquet. This is a celebration. This is a good and beautiful thing. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his field another to his business, and then it says the rest of them seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. That's the, the persecution that you see in the church. The king was enraged, and he sent his army and destroyed those murderers. Now he's labeling these priests murderers and burned their city. Jesus is still making a point about these priests, the religious mafia. It takes some chutzpah to just do it standing right there in front of him. He's calling them murderers. They're hard-hearted people. 
who make it hard for others to see the love of God. And I do believe that this was heart-wrenching for Jesus. You know, the, the two messages ago, we talked about how Jesus looked over the city of Jerusalem and wept over it. God chose this small group of people to be the wedding party. But here he sees them breaking his heart. They were the ones called to lead God's people to be a blessing to the whole world, which we do get to see in the church now, right? But at this point, the story was sad. And here's where at this point, I'm hoping that what I've said today thus far will hit home with you. Jesus then describes an invitation that I think extends to the rest of us. Verse 8 says, Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready. He says it again. But those I invited did not deserve to come. They didn't think they needed it. They were too self-righteous to want to come to this grand celebration. One of my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, the, the next two, Then the king said, go to the street corners, invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. In other words, this grand celebration, a picture of even things to come from where we sit right now in in history, The wedding hall was full of people who felt like they were not on the VIP list. But for whom the king sent his servants to find. It was full of people who previously felt excluded by the very ones who were meant to extend the blessing to them. But they previously felt excluded either by the corrupt systems of the world or by the decisions that led them to be hopeful or hopeless. You saw it in the stories earlier. Jesus elevated the people at the bottom of society, the ones who are willing to turn to God, anyone who will receive his invitation back. Jesus removed the barrier for you. For you. And I found out one of the, one of the, commentaries that it may have been customary in this case that where people were invited off the streets, they're not in wedding clothes. It was customary for the host of the wedding to provide the guests with wedding clothes if they didn't have any. Clothed clothed in dignity. The parable finishes with a warning that I'll invite you to read on your own because I want to end a, a different place here, but a warning to the religious leaders who might try to show up without letting God put the clothing on them, without receiving the grace. And I can talk to you more about that if, if you want. But I want to point each of us today who are listening to this, to this. God is planning a party, and he's invited you. Jesus has removed the barrier between you and God. Jesus has sent an invitation with your name on it 
to come to the table. Jesus is calling anybody who's thirsty for hope, thirsty for God, thirsty for a a better story, thirsty for a renewed life. And maybe you feel like you've shown up unprepared. You know, sometimes that can keep us away from God as we feel like we're just not good enough. We've messed up too much. We've gone too far. And maybe you've arrived at the front of the line and and you got your Daisy Dukes Velcro cutoffs on and you're going to get denied. Well, let me tell you, God provides new clothes when you respond to his invitation. It's his party. It's his wedding. And he can invite whoever he wants. So no matter how low you feel today, he's invited you to the wedding. You are a guest of the king to the greatest celebration of all time. God wants you back. He wants you back. And in the coming weeks, we're going to see the extent to which he would go to get you back. So the invitation is there for you. The invitation is there for you for the first time, but also if you feel like you've drifted. If you feel like you've forgotten. Maybe as I'm telling the story, you identify more with the priests that are legalistic and making it hard for people to find their way back to God. I want to give you a moment right now to respond to that invitation. And we don't do, we don't do this all the time. And if nobody uh, responds to this in this way, that's completely fine too. But I know for some of you, if the invitation has felt like so far off and you need to to take a step in order to prove to your soul that you are receiving the invitation from Jesus. That during this next song, I want to invite you, you can just come forward up here. If if your body needs to feel something, and we're not going to make you do anything beyond that, but if you need to feel like, yes, Jesus, I like receive your invitation and your body needs to feel it, then I want to invite you to just come and sing the song up front. If you need prayer, if you're trying to break a cycle in your life, like I said, we don't do this sort of thing all the time, but I I couldn't help with the theme of the beautiful invitation just to give you a moment because sometimes you need a moment when the invitation sits in your hand and you say yes to the God who would send his son to save you and to redeem you and to give you the clothes that you need to get into the wedding for whatever your reason is during this next song. And I want to invite the band up uh, to sing this next song. We're just going to open up the front and I'll be down there too. If you need somebody to talk to or pray with, but if you need a moment and you can do that where you're sitting too, If you need a moment just to respond, to say yes to the invitation, the next few minutes are for you. And we'll sing along with you. So let me pray and we'll sing this last song together. Uh, Lord, thank you so much. Um, It didn't, it it cost you a lot to get the invitation to us. I'll just say that. 
we don't, we don't often realize the cost for you to send your son seated on the perfect throne with you from all of eternity down here to, to sit with us in our mess. I'm so thankful that you sent Jesus. I'm so thankful that we can see your heart on display in a man that would even challenge the corrupt systems that keep people far from you. Man, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your grace when we are willing to admit that we are broken and need you. I pray in this moment with however it looks for whoever it is that maybe the invitation will be received and that you will be felt and received for the first time, for the thousandth time, whatever it is. Pray that you will revive this room. Awaken us right now. Help us to see how privileged we are to have you extended the invite to us to have life and life to the full. Let us say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.